Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Rich Birch from the Unseminary Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Do you have things at your church that you wish would just change? Do you have people that are resisting change, that you're just are, are pushing against what you think is God's vision for the future of your church? Well, today you are in for a treat because we've got a special guest, Carrie Newhoff, uh, who, who I think is one of the smartest leaders in the country uh, on the whole organizational change issue. Uh, he's got some great stuff to say. Let's jump into the podcast and make sure you come back after the interview because I've got a few resources I want to share with you. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right, well, welcome to the show. I'm so privileged to have Kerry Newhoff on with us. Kerry is uh, a leader, he's a writer, he's a pastor, blogger, author, uh, and I am privileged to call him a friend. And so yeah, today absolutely. I thank you, Kerry, for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Rich. I'm really excited to be here and really excited about your podcast, too. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, Carrie, you're, you're one of those leaders that I feel like has been through a lot of change. You know, you've you've kind of seen a lot happen. I wonder if we could kind of take a little bit and tell a story about the current ministry you're at and kind of just a bit of your background, you know, get people to kind of introduce you a little bit, get to know you more. Sure. Yeah, no, change has been the one constant over the 18 years that I've been in ministry. And it's one of those things, Rich, that um, just never goes away. And so my story, my background is uh, I was not one of those people who ever thought I would be in ministry. Um, I was, when I was eight years old, I decided I wanted to become a lawyer. I don't know what needs to be wrong with you at eight years old to want to be a lawyer, but that was true of me. So I went to law school, and uh, it was in the middle of law school that I really, like, I'm not a, like, supernatural, really charismatic person, but God intervened, and even though I was a Christian, he made it very clear to me that there was a call to ministry, and uh, it took me a few years to discern that. I finished law school. And then in 1995, I came up to where I currently am, about an hour north of Toronto in a little community called Oro, um, which you know, Rich, uh, yep. and uh, started with three small Presbyterian churches. Uh, my background was Presbyterian. Uh, we led those churches through a significant amount of change over, uh, over a decade. And then about six years ago, um, I left and we started Conexus Church. And um, that was a transition, some of the same people, but certainly not all of the same people uh, who were part of those uh, Presbyterian churches went on to start Conexus, a church for unchurched people and a North Point strategic partner. And even in that, even in the midst of that, there's been an awful lot of change in the last six years. So change has been the one constant, I guess, that and Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, man, that, uh, you know, I often say to people like Carrie, like I said, he's just been through a lot. Now, what would you say, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are obviously leading churches of all different mm -hmm. sizes, but I think we're all trying to figure out how to change our churches, right? We're all, you know, it, there's a, I think as an inbred in leaders is the desire to say, hey, we want to make things better. Um, how, how have you navigated? What were some handles that you've kind of come back to time and time again? You've seen, hey, this is some of the things we have to do as leaders to, to kind of successfully yeah. navigate that change. Well, probably, and I didn't know this right away, but I figured out over time that change is actually a skill, and leading change is actually a skill, and the good news is it can be learned. There are principles that just work, and I think sometimes leaders find themselves in a trap 
where they really want change. I don't know a single leader worth his or her salt that doesn't want change of some kind. That's what makes us leaders. But we kind of expect other people to buy into that change before we've sold it, before we've really um, delivered on it. And so we're waiting for people to change and then we get frustrated because they don't change. And I think there was something, at first it was just instinct, that told me that that was just wrong. Like people do not automatically change and people don't like change. And so right. it's up to you as the leader um, to really show people a picture of a preferred preferred future and to lead them there. Now, there are good ways to do that and there are bad ways to do it. And, <laughs> you know, the one question I got all the time, because our uh, little Presbyterian churches, what we did was um, we started to grow and um, we sold three historic buildings within five years and we moved into an elementary school and that elicited some opposition. <laughs> I mean, you, you give up everything that they had known for over a hundred years. And I mean, these are beautiful little red brick historic buildings, you know, the Anne of Green Gables type churches. And uh, they sold them and we moved into an elementary school in the name of reaching people. And then we built a $2 million facility and then we left it a few years later when we left the denomination to start over again in movie theaters. I mean, because we thought it would help us reach more unchurched people in a uh, non-denominational context and with the model of ministry we wanted to run with. So that's an awful lot of change and people don't just stand up and wildly applaud when you announce what your strategy is. So uh, we did get a lot of opposition. The question I would get, that's a long way of getting to this question, the question I always got is, so um, did anybody leave? And <laughs> right. there's a point at which, well, of course people left. Like, what do you think? They, you right. know, Everybody who's in your church today is there because they like it the way it is now. Mm. That's something every leader, like everybody who's at Liquid Church right now where you serve, yeah. likes the way it is right now. One way or the other, maybe they don't like everything, but they like something about it. So if you're going to change, there's an inherent alienation that's going to happen with everybody who's currently part of your tribe. It just yes. it just happens, right? Yes. I liked it better when Rich didn't do podcasts when he was a <laughs> right. blogger, right? I mean, yeah. like, right. you, you have that. It happens in your TV shows where they add a character and you're like, well, it was so much better before they had that character. And, you know, it, it's just people don't like that. And so the opposition gets intense, but what happens, here's one mistake that I'll share that I think a lot of leaders make, and I had to figure out how not to make this mistake. We assume, because opponents are loud, that loud equals large. Loud mm. equals large. Mm. So because your inbox is blowing up, or because that congregational meeting didn't go really well, or because you keep getting pigeonholed after the service, hey, can I talk to you, and you know, there's fingers pointing, you, you just assume, and if you listen to the opponents, they'll always tell you, um, hey, everybody's upset with this. You know, I've talked to everybody. Really? You talk to everybody? Okay, <laughs> I'm just checking. Um, and so they, you know, you, you just assume as a leader, loud equals large. But if you actually do the math, if you actually go through it, and we, we learned early on, we, we should just do the math here, probably that loud, group of, of your organization is probably about 10%. Mm. And in the worst days, it might be 30. Maybe it's 50. I doubt it. I don't, I don't think it ever got to 50% right. in, in, in our worst moments. Um, but they're just loud. And so you just have to convince yourself, I have to do the math. Wait a minute. Am I going to sacrifice 90% of the population of our organization for the sake of 10% who are not content? And often, <laughs> the people who are opposed to your vision don't actually have a competing vision for a better future. Mm. So if you ask them, well, where, okay, so what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? They're like, well, I don't know. It just can't be that way. 
Well, you right, can't go right. back. You can't go back. So what's your vision for a preferred future? And often the answer is they don't have one. And so then really, okay, so you're going to listen to 10% of the population that doesn't have a clear destination, that actually isn't going to make it better. It doesn't mean they're bad people. They're just not going to make it better. And you're going to sacrifice and jettison your whole organization for the sake of that. And then if you're involved in the church or you're trying to grow a business and you think about, well, that's my existing customer base. Those are our existing users. What about all the market out there? What about, in my case, unchurched people? You know, you're going to let 10 people in a church of 100 control the future of 100,000 people. You're going to let 100 people in the church of 1,000 control the future of 100,000 people? Like, do the math, Fred. So right. that, those were some lessons I had to learn early on, and we were fortunate enough to try to figure out. Well, Carrie, this is why I love you talking about change, because, you know, it just falls out of you. It's like, okay, you know, well, there might have been a bit of opposition about selling three buildings and merging and all this stuff. That's that's amazing. Uh, break it down to, you know, maybe like a, a personal story or a time mm. when, um, you know, you can remember, hey, there was a bit of opposition there, um, maybe from a source where you didn't anticipate it. How, you know, how do you deal with that? Because I think it's not so yeah. much, I think, for leaders that it's like, you know, there's that person you don't like. Now, maybe it's just you, but uh, there's always mm. people in every church where I'm like, ah, you don't really like yeah, them. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to them. <laughs> but then there's the people that are a little closer. Um, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with, when you know, yeah. talk about something personal. Well, let's, let's do two ways. Um, number one, in the early days, you do get a lot of opposition. You get people standing up, uh, emailing you or pigeonholing you or whatever. I, we learned as an elder board to ask this question. Is there a biblical, ar- two questions. Number one, is there a biblical argument in what they're saying? Because if there is, I need to listen. Right. And just because I'm the leader doesn't mean I always know best, doesn't mean I speak for God. And wisdom does come to us sometimes even in the face of opponents. And even with your worst mm-hmm. opponents, there might always be a grain of truth in what they're saying, even if their motivations aren't great. So have the humility to listen, but the wisdom to only act on the things that really are going to determine a better future. So the humility to listen, but the wisdom not to act on all of it. So um, is there a biblical argument what they're saying? Second question we learned to ask, and this one I still ask to this day is, are these the kind of people we're going to build the future of the church on? Are they? And um, in the early days, a lot of them were older, and there's nothing wrong with older people. We have some very, very wise older you know, senior adults in our congregation that we listen to, but sometimes... You know, in our case, they were people we just couldn't build the future of the church on. And even younger leaders, when you look at their lives, it's like, I don't really see a track record where you've accomplished a whole lot, or maybe your life, you sit in the critic's chair all day long and you say, this guy's wrong and that guy's wrong, and that's just your life. Like, you cannot build the future of the church on people like that. People who are cynical and negative and always opposed to something can't build the future of the church on. Now, where it gets tough, I remember about 10 years ago, I had uh, a letter from, and I haven't talked about this publicly, but you asked, so <laughs> I got a letter from a key elder, and um, she sent me a note, and she just said, I support you 100%, and, uh, but this time I think you've gone too far, and we were getting the rid of the last of the old hymns, and right. I sat down with her, and I mean, we cried together, and I said, I just, I just got to disagree with you, and I've, I've got to focus on who we're going to reach, not who we're going to keep, and we tried to keep up our friendship, and she continued to serve in leadership. And I mean, I see her now. I don't see her as much. Our church is bigger in the whole deal. But whenever I see her, I get this huge hug. And uh, I mean, she's well into her senior years now, but just an incredible woman. And I think wow. sometimes you just have to work through that. And I think one of the reasons that um, people get 
um, out of sorts with wise leaders. Often it's not with your best people. It's not a character issue. It's not a mission issue. It's not a vision issue. Usually it's a strategy issue. And so sometimes if you get to the point where some of your best leaders are saying, like, if I've got five great leaders telling me I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. So this is not like you just go ahead and you just blaze trails. I mean, every once in a while you have a Moses moment where <laughs> you're going across the desert all by yourself and you're speaking for God. But I think a lot of leaders think they're in those moments when they're not. Um, <laughs> right. But, but if, you, if you get to the point where you're with a leader, if you can isolate that to strategy, and I think the disagreement between this great woman and, and, and me was a strategic disagreement. Right. And it was a lot of change at once. And so when we worked through the strategy, it was one of those things where I just think that, you know, the style of music that we're going to do in the future is going to be more effective at reaching unchurched people. You can sometimes find agreement. Or, or at least you realize why you're disagreeing right. at the time. And that one was tough. That that actually that incident uh, combined with a really really tough month. I remember it was November two thousand two. Sent me to a counselor's office for the first hmm. time ever. Wow. So that was very personal. Yeah, absolutely. Now now does she is she continue to be connected to the ministry? Absolutely. Tonight? She was there last Sunday. Will be this Sunday. Gives serves. I mean, that's a great heart. So I carry. I think that commends. Yeah, you know, that's a good personal story because I think sometimes when we talk about change, right? That's amazing. That's someone who you know obviously it really meant a lot to her, and it obviously meant a lot to you yeah. uh, that you can come to a point of disagreement, uh, but then still not break relationship is is amazing. You know, that's, I did a couple of her grandchildren's weddings, and you know, oh, cool. Just went to her. She had a big birthday, and the family invited me. And Tony, my wife, and I were there last summer. And I mean, you you can work through those things, but you just I, I would say you just have to figure out why you're disagreeing and I know with our current leadership if because you know we try to find people whose character is deep runs deep and who who we also have a great chemistry with personally mm -hmm. um, that often the misalignment happens never on a mission and vision level not in the church I mean we we believe in Jesus we love Jesus he's he's great <laughs> you know we, we agree on that <laughs> yeah um, the disagreement is, is strategic and if right. you can isolate that you will often at least understand why you disagree and sometimes uh, find agreement even in the midst of that. So now what would you say you know, to a church leader that um, you know, says, hey, I, I want to make a, a strategic shift this fall or maybe early next year, um, and you know, I've got a kind of core group around me that agrees with that, uh, but you know, they anticipate a bit of resistance. What are a couple just practical tactics to start with um, you know, it's not going to be the whole thing. It's not the whole right. book, uh, but one or two little first steps uh, towards that change. Number one, focus on why. Um, I think a lot of leaders get tripped up on what and how, and so the reason it's what Simon Sinek says, right? Yeah, that people totally. buy what you do, not what you do. They buy why you do it, not what you do. Right. And I think that's true. You know, every time you open your mouth as a leader, you need to explain why. So mm -hmm. lead with why. Pepper all your private and public communication, your written communication, your vision, vision casting with why. And, and then talk about the what and the how. But why almost always unites and what and how almost always divides. The other thing I would talk about is um, Patrick Lencioni calls it um, cascading communication. You can also look at it in terms of communicating in concentric circles. Right. So start with your core team where you actually get input then go a little bit wider to your next level. So we have a level of government in our system, the North Point system called MTRs, Ministry Team Representatives. We'll bounce change off them first, like, hey, this isn't a decision. Mm 
we just want to get your input. Right, and then right, when right. people who are close to you and share your strategic alignment but aren't necessarily around the table, when they get input, just like, well, what about this or what about that? Buy-in is much higher. Um, and then you sort of go to the crowd, you know, and then you go to the community. So start, start layering it. And you know what else? People love to be the first to know. <laughs> if, if you can give them, if you can That's give so them um, an inside track, and we've, we've just really in the last year ramped that up. It's like, hey, I want you to be the first to know that this is something we're looking at and really not keep any secrets. I think once in a while a personnel decision is something you don't talk about, but we always say, look, there's no secrets at Connexus. We're not going to communicate this publicly yet, but you're in the room and you can know. We're negotiating with Cineplex Odeon on a permanent deal. We're, you know, if you, if you can make it public, do. And then people feel like, oh, if I... You know, I'm, I'm part of this. And so they feel some skin in the game, some ownership, even before it gets trotted out publicly. And when you've got 100 people sitting in, you know, a Sunday service where something is announced and they already knew it, you've already got 100 evangelists oh, out totally. there for change. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else on this change topic? There's a lot, you know, there's a lot here. Uh, you've written a book on it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, anything else that, you know, that you want to make sure we get in? I would just say, you know, the big goal, um, and real short, is focus on who you want to reach, not who you want to keep. Mm -hmm. and, and the biggest thing that I find hangs up leaders in the midst of change is that you're only ever going to hear from the people that want you to keep them. You're never going to hear from the people who you want to reach. You know, unchurched people don't randomly email you and go, hey, if you did this, I'd come to your church. They just don't right. do that. <laughs> they don't call you. They don't text you. They're like, whoa. You know, they're silent. And so... Right. In, in the same sense that if you're in a position of power or influence, you need to think about how God wants you to use that power or influence to benefit people who don't have power and influence. I think when you're a church leader, even if you're an organizational leader, you've got to think about the customer you haven't reached, not just the customer you have. You've got to think about the person that isn't in the room, not just the people who are in the room. And I think leaders that maintain that focus and are able to share that focus widely in the organization are going to do the best when it comes to change and creating a culture of change. Yeah, you know, friends, I, I can just reinforce what Kerry's saying. He actually lives out. A part of what I appreciate about Kerry, his leadership, Connexus, their church, is when you cut them, they bleed, hey, we want to be a church for unchurched people. Um, that's what they talk about all the time. They're obsessed with it, um, which which really, I think, does drive, like we were talking about, they're leading with the why. It, it, it becomes the conversation piece. That is the benchmark upon which they judge everything. So I appreciate, Kerry, your leadership, not only on well, change, but then also on the focus of staying clear on that mission. I appreciate that, Rich. And you know, just to encourage people, when we started to grow, most of our growth did not come from unchurched people. Right. Um, this is 18, I'm 18 years into this. So uh, in the first decade, it was probably about 30% unchurched people and 60% church growth. But that's flipped. In the last few years, where 60% of our people are self-identified unchurched people. We don't like, hey, I think they're unchurched. Like they tell us they're <laughs> unchurched. Um, and that's great. And so remember that you can change something in two or three years, but it takes probably five to seven years to transform it. And the transformation happens with change when it becomes part of who you are and embedded in your culture. And so if you're in the middle of change, don't give up. You're probably going to be most tempted to quit moments before your critical breakthrough.
All right, I said we were coming to the end, but I have one more question I want to slip in. Go ahead. Um, this is, again, a bit more personal. Do you feel like as you kind of progress along in your leadership journey, um, just personally, you're um, kind of more open to change and more open to risk or less? Um, what is your own personal dynamics on that? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question, and I'd say I'm in the middle of that right now. I think as you get older, and I think the longer you're in leadership and the more successful you become, the more change-averse you become. Mm -hmm. Particularly if something is successful, you're really worried about wrecking it. Um, I also think we're in the middle of a massive cultural shift. You write about it all the time, Rich, and I mean, you're, you're up on trends like crazy. And so the way I'm looking at it now and I hope to write another book, the third book in the, in the Change Trilogy will be on creating a culture of success. But the early notes on that, for me at least, are um, maintain what you've got, but constantly innovate and experiment. And you can experiment on the side. You, and, and I think an organization that loses its experimental, entrepreneurial, let's just preserve at all costs, you're coming real close to the cliff. Mm-hmm. And it's only a matter of time until you fall off. So. I think when you've got success, when you've got momentum, and we're in a season of momentum right now, you want to make sure that, yes, you've got to preserve what, what God has built and what you've accomplished, but never, ever lose. So I am pushing myself to innovate and experiment and fail, um, but you have to fail in areas that isn't – sometimes you've got to fail in areas that might cost you the whole organization, <laughs> but I think it's smarter to experiment on the side. And so we're doing a social media experiment right now. We don't even know whether it's going to work, but it doesn't right. cost us 50000 It costs us 5000 and right. we're going to find out whether it works. And we're always adjusting the sales and always playing around, and we'll play like we're doing something off-model for a North Point um, church. Not, you know, we're not being dis- disobedient or whatever, but we're just <laughs> trying some stuff that um, we're just experimenting with. And if it doesn't right. work, you just shut it down. So yeah. I think you can lose that, and I think the older you get and the more successful you get. Older in age, but also older as an organization, the more successful, the less you will innovate and the less you'll experiment. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right, here we are at the lightning round, uh, where we ask some questions of a church leader to kind of understand what's happening in their world. So, Carrie, um, are there any kind of online resources that you use in your ministry that are you know you find particularly helpful? I just feel so intimidated with you asking me that question because you're the guy who always finds this stuff. You're out foraging in the forest finding new things. So, you know, I I mean, a couple of obvious ones that I think a lot of people would. I'm trying to use Evernote. I mean, I was on a bike ride this morning, and all my good ideas come when I'm not trying to generate good ideas. And so I'm cycling, and I have my phone, and I'm listening to a podcast, and I just switch to Evernote, and I hit the record, and I've got my little iPhone um, earbuds in. And I just recorded a couple of voice files because I know if, if you're like me, by the time you get home, you've forgotten it. So sometimes in the car, I'll just record directly to Evernote, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm using uh, the Mailbox app. Oh, man, oh, nice. that's great. Yeah, like, that's a great app. It's a lot of fun. And other than that, um, I don't know. I use things for task management, um, and uh, all the innovative people will go, yeah, okay, and what yeah, else? No, but no those are all good. That, those, are, those are fun things for me, and um, uh, I do like technology, and I can't wait um, to upgrade. This is a fall of upgrading, so new iPad, new phone, new everything, so we'll see where that goes. Ah, uh, you're going to get the new, I- the new iPhone. That'll be nice. I think so, yeah. I think so. I'm still rocking a four, and... Oh, nice. uh, <laughs> I went on a spending fast for a year, so last Christmas, my uh, my cousin's son, five-year-old, 
he said, can I take a picture with your phone? He handed it back to me. He goes, dude, your phone is so slow. And when five-year-olds <laughs> are telling you you have a slow phone, it's probably time to upgrade. <laughs> That's funny. You yeah. know, you should go HTC One, man, the Android phone. That is a fantastic phone. But You love that phone. Is that I what do. you're using right now? Yeah, that's what I use right now. It's a fantastic phone. It's. I think oh. it's the one that the they finally nailed, like, okay, this is actually, it's a good a really phone. good Android. So you like oh, it better okay. than the S4? I do, yeah. I don't like all the Samsung stuff. All the like, okay. they have all that like, they have all like, they put their their stuff on top of Android. And I don't like it, but gotcha. Anyway, so what are some books you're reading these days that are impacting your ministry and thinking? Well, a couple that come to mind right now. I'd say honestly, I mean, deep and wide, a lot of people have read that book, and um, we're in North Point Partner World, so that's been fantastic. A lot of that was stuff that we've had leaked over the years, but it's now all on paper. We can share with our volunteers. Reggie Joyner, who I also work with, wrote a book that is just the sleeper of 2013. It's called Zombies, Football, and the Gospel. I think they're going to remarket it and relaunch it. Right. But we went through it with our leadership team, and um, you know Andy Stanley's description of Reggie Joyner is Reggie's always off in the forest finding new things and discovering new things, and he comes back and reports. And that book has got his best thinking on trends in the church. It's called uh -huh. Zombies, Football, and the Gospel. It's available at the Orange Store, and you can get it off whatisorange.org. And uh, we went through it as a leadership team. It just got us asking questions that really I don't see anybody else asking. So that was great. And then we're reading The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. I'm a huge Lencioni fan, and this is a synthesis of really his life's work, and we're just in the final stages of reading through that as a leadership team, so it's been fantastic. Those are three books I'd recommend. Cool. Yeah, Zombies, Football, and the Gospel, I think they gave that away at Orange a couple years ago, right? They like did, actually, and and then it's for sale now. I don't know what it is, but, man, I picked up copies for our whole team, and it's just it's a quirky, fun um, but really deeply challenging book on trends in the future. And one of them is, is you know, what are you going to do to reach all the people who will just never come to your church? Right. Period. Period. Right. Like, they will never gather in your space on a Sunday morning, and that might be 90% of the unchurched people are just never, ever going to show up at Liquid Church or Connexus. Right. Like, right. what do you do with that? Well, who's And Reggie now is actually early next year going to be unveiling some things for that. So that that would be really fun to see. Cool. Nice. What are some other ministries? You know, you had mentioned North Point, um, obviously mm -hmm. Reggie with Orange. Um, other ministries that are inspiring you? I love tracking um, what's happening in Nashville with Crosspoint. Um, Pete Wilson, Jenny Catron, who uh, you've got an interview with on the on the podcast. Um, I spent some time uh, over the last little while with um, NCC in Washington, National Community Church, Mark Batterson and his team. One of the things I really like, both about Crosspoint and about um, National Community Church, is they've got a pretty glamorous front image. But when I spoke at Crosspoint and then when I've been at, um, at Mark's church, um, it's pretty basic operations. Crosspoint has a brand new campus and everything, but if you'd ever been to their old one, like the only part of the church that was really cool was the set that people <laughs> talked from. Everything else was like MacGyvered from 1960s Baptist world, and they created a growing church on a shoestring budget. Same with NCC. I mean, their staff don't even have a building. They're, you could throw a stone from Capitol Hill, Mm -hmm. to um, to their theater campus, and their staff can't even really all be in the same place together because they don't have enough room, but they're incredibly effective, uh, and, and they just, I guess the best word is they MacGyver everything. They just figure out how to do it, and 
Uh, I love churches with that entrepreneurial spirit because often the impression is, well, you know, if we had $10 million, we'd be just as effective as them. We right. need to go and visit some of those churches and see how innovative they're being on limited resources, just like everybody else, just like what you guys are doing with your brand new campus. Right, trying to piece it together. Mm -hmm. um, so you, let's say you get 15 minutes with any leader that's alive today. Uh, who would you, uh, you know, want to be with, and why would you want to talk with them? Well, I gotta say, honestly, as a North Point strategic partner, I do have the opportunity to spend time with Andy Stanley, so that would be my answer. But that that's gonna happen. So I would, you know, who I would say the guy I've never met would love to meet Tim Keller. Like oh, right. I just love Tim Keller. I can't get enough of his podcasts, his books. Um, and having a mainline church background, but being an evangelical and now being in an evangelical church, he really embodies for me so much of what I love about mainline tradition. Uh, he's scholarly. He's wise. Uh, I mean, I don't know how old Tim is. He's got to be in his 50s or early 60s. But um, he has so much enthusiasm. And here's a guy who's, like, not um, super cool, right. who is really scholarly, who is knocking it out of the park with 20 and 30-something New Yorkers. Like, talk about the hardest market to reach right. in a mainline context. And he's just wise. He's the kind of guy that if you just hung out with, I think, for a day, you would be 10 times wiser than when yeah, you woke up true. in the morning. So, Tim Keller. Yeah, you know, he's interesting because he is definitely, like, I think a lot of times when we think of, like, relevance in church, we think of, like, mm -hmm. lots of moving lights and, like, a rock band. Right. Um, but he's, but he is like that, he is incredibly relevant for his context. He's he's reaching the people um, in New York City. He's doing the same thing that the cool rock band church with lots of lights is trying to do, uh, but in a totally different way. So Right, and I mean, cool. if you go to a service, it's still quite traditional. I mean, it's not super high-tech. Sometimes you hear the mic being banged, you know, <laughs> right. in the podcast, um, but, and he has a way, I was listening to a, a message he did, and he was explaining Satan and evil mm -hmm. to young Manhattanites, and I'm kind of right. like, okay, if you can do that, you just, you win a prize. I don't know what it right. is, but you win. Yeah, like, very cool. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right, so when you're going to kick back and just have a little bit of fun, uh, what do you like to do? Love to road ride. That's fun. That's become a little bit of uh, an obsession. So cycling has, has been great. Um, I'm on Strava now, so that just makes me want to get out even more. What's Strava? What's that? You know what? It's it's a weird... I have like nine followers on Strava, and I'm so proud of that. Um, <laughs> it is a social media app for cyclists, cycling enthusiasts. Oh. and. What it does is it's GPS-enabled, like a million apps out there, except it ranks you on known segments. So it tells you that your time was, you know, 15th out of 42. And oh, so, wow. yeah, it's a little bit competitive, um, <laughs> and it's fun. And there's lots of guys around here who cycle. Other than that, I love to write. Like, my writing blog, that's a hobby, and uh, hanging out with family and friends. Nice. Well, Kerry, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy leader. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, yeah, you know, the easiest way is right off the blog. It's just my name, kerrynewhoff.com, um, C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. I know you got that on first try, <laughs> .com. Um, and uh, our church is connectuscommunity.com. You can email me right off that website, and uh, we'd love to have a conversation. Great. Thanks so much, Kerry. Okay. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Wow, man, it was so great having Carrie on the show. What a gift. 
Um, today, two things as we head out. First of all, have you been to the strategy section at unseminary.com? Drop by there today and click on the strategy button and you'll see there's tons of articles in there to help you think through the way that you do ministry. A lot of what we talked about today was as helping people understand and articulate their strategy. So, you know, check those out. Those will be a free resource for you. Uh, and second of all, you know, you're going to go into a church this weekend that maybe isn't the kind of church you want to lead at. There's things you wish were different. But let me be encourage you today. You can make changes this weekend, even if it's a 1% incremental change, that may take years to come to fruition. It may take a long time before everything shapes up exactly how you want it. But make those changes. Push forward this weekend. Make the changes that you believe God's calling you to make. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email, rich at unseminary.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com. It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.